Money FM 89.3, best of prime time. Eco Money on Money FM 89.3. So it's time for Eco Money, and we are on the final stretch of COP26 in Glasgow. And after weeks of negotiations, gaps remain, like finance support for poorer nations. Let's have a closer look at this now with Matthew Oxenford, an analyst for Europe at the Economist Intelligence Unit, joining us uh, this evening. Matthew, thanks for your time. Uh, Matthew, what are your thoughts on the progress made so far? I think in the first week, we've seen a lot of individual countries make um, very high-profile, flashy announcements. India promising to reach net zero by 2070, commitments to ending deforestation, phasing out coal for several countries. But a lot of this is really going to depend on the follow-through. These are not legally binding. These are mostly flashy statements. Mm -hmm. This week is going to be the real sort of push in terms of what sort of agreement can be reached across the parties, particularly on um, reporting requirements on the tricky issue of aid for developing countries and also on the issue of how often countries are going to be reporting. Right now it's been uh, every five years. There's a push that's going on at COP right now to turn that into an annual reporting process to try and accelerate further progress. Matthew, are we likely to see lasting results, though, after the conference? As you said, they're all non-binding. They're just announcements. But what next? I think there is, um, this has become an issue that's been much more politically salient in a lot of domestic economies. And so if the prime minister of of a given country stands up in front of the world and says, this country is going to do this, and they do absolutely nothing, then that's going to have more of a political blowback. Um, Now, I don't think that they're actually going to achieve all of the promises that they've immediately um, uh, that they put out without any sort of binding legislation. But there is some sign that there is greater ambition, just uh, what the question is whether or not that's going to be enough fast enough. So why is there a reluctance, though, uh, to commit to something right now? Right now, um, for developing countries, it's always been an issue of money. It's always been an issue of the uh, developing countries being very concerned that they're promise to their citizens is that they're going to reach a higher mm-hmm. standard of living. Right. And the only way that that's been done in the past is with uh, dirty fossil fuels. And so they're holding out for substantial amounts of aid, which the developing countries, developed countries have generally said, yeah, we want to do this and help fund, uh, fund your transition because climate change is that serious of an issue. But it really just has not materialized. It was supposed to be $100 billion by 2020. Now they're saying um, at COP26 that that's going to be delayed until 2023. And that $100 billion is really just a symbolic issue. At the same time, advanced economies are dealing with this energy crisis that we're seeing in Europe and in mm-hmm. Asia um, because of the increased demand in natural gas. And that's going to limit a lot of ambition to, have, uh, to commit to really um, broad further changes in how people get their electricity. Okay, Matthew, in in your EIU report, you did ask the question, will humanity survive? Climate change, will humanity survive? So do you think enough is being done? I think um, we are definitely already seeing some of the impacts of uh, of climate change in the weather that's been coming up in the last year, the heat waves in Canada, the fires in the United States, Australia, Greece, Turkey. This is only going to continue, and uh, a lot of countries are going to experience um, much more severe weather events. And I think that's going to drive increased ambition. But the next, uh, there is going to be significant climate change, and that's going to, in the next 20 years, and that is going to lead to both the increased salience of um, mitigation policies as an issue, as well as the increased salience of doing something to get uh, emissions under control. So this issue is only going to become more important in the next 20 years as the impacts are becoming more sort of center stage. 
I'm speaking to Matthew Oxen for an analyst Europe for Economist Intelligence Unit about climate change and the COP26 and what happens beyond that. Uh, Matthew, as your report eloquently put it, beyond carbon emission cuts, the fight against climate change will also, well, hopefully, reshape global business environment for many years to come. Does this mean that Industry 4.0 could be known as the Green Revolution? I think a lot of governments and a lot of private uh, private actors are uh, committed to doing this. Uh, we saw at uh, COP, uh, Mark Carney's um, Glasgow Alliance for uh, Net Zero has committed to uh, $170 trillion worth of assets for green projects. Now, that's all that number is a bit of an accounting trick, but the fact that there is that many, there are that many private financing organizations that are making you know making funds available to green projects is really going to uh, accelerate the technological change that's needed. And if we look at the change in how expensive solar power and wind power has been, even under even over the last ten years, um, we've seen significant and substantial industrial transformation already, and that's only going to accelerate as more and more public and private finance becomes available for uh, companies to move forward on this. Okay, so will there be winners and losers then? Absolutely. I think that, I think that the direction of travel at this point is clear, even if the speed may or may not be uh, at the level we need. And uh, emerging technologies, green technologies, are really going to see substantial growth over the next 20 years. And also in, uh, in companies that aren't directly involved in the green transition, uh, it will reward agility. So if you look at the car market, um, electric cars were always were considered a sideshow mm-hmm. until a couple of years ago. And now the various car makers are scrambling over each other to try and bring out the, the best electric model to compete with Tesla and to compete with the uh, emerging electric market. At the same time, there are going to be losers. And besides just slower movers, um, obviously, anyone invested in the oil and uh, oil and gas sector is going to see uh, slowing growth. And also anybody who invests for the next 50 years without looking at this creates the risk of what's, uh, what economists call stranded assets, something that's been bought with a 50-year time horizon. Mm-hmm. For example, like if a company buys a vehicle fleet and doesn't realize that countries are moving more and more towards electric, uh, electric vehicles or higher emission standards, they may not be able to um, benefit from the full value of those uh, capital assets. And that's going to create a lot of losers for, uh, for businesses that aren't, uh, aren't taking this into account. All right. Matthew, thank you very much for sharing your thoughts with us uh, this evening. Matthew Oxenford is an analyst for the Economist Intelligence Unit. We're talking here about COP26 and where we go from here. Thank you, Matthew. Great. Thank you. You're listening to Prime Time here on Money FM 89.3. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.